0: First of all, it is just good to be with you all. Thank you for joining us today. Um, Our series in Proverbs continues and just similar to as we've seen throughout, we're not gonna be reading a passage because there's a number of different Proverbs we'll be looking at. Today's topic is going to be generosity. And I don't know if you realize this, but you will never be more generous than God is to you. You could try, but you'll always fail to outdo God when it comes to generosity. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 9, 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. God's desire is to bless you, to be with you, to give you joy, to satisfy you, and to make his grace overflow through you. So there's no way that we will ever outdo him in this process. But do we trust that that's true? Uh, Do we realize that actually, the more we trust that God is generous with us, then there has to be an outflow of that generosity towards other people. When we look at Proverbs, we're gonna look at two different ways that we can actually express this type of generosity that God has towards us. First, a generosity with our words. And then second, a generosity with our resources. First, our words. You know, actually, I think quite often, more than being generous with our words, we tend to be a little bit stingy with our words. At least words of blessing. We tend to be far tight-fisted with them. We don't bless enough or encourage enough. And regardless of how much you might think that you're a person of encouragement, which I know some of you really are, I mean, really, really are, but there's always more that we can do, more that we can say. The, um, James says this in James chapter 3, verse 10. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. And because of this cheapness of words, blessing words, words of encouragement, we often deter others from experiencing the same kind of blessing or comfort and joy. In fact, sometimes our words can be outright critical, judgmental, destroying people and others. James also describes in James 3.8, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. It doesn't have to be this way. We want to look at what the Proverbs say about this type of generosity with words. If we look at chapter 15, verse four, it really gives us this beautiful picture of being of good word. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. When our words are unkind or lack compassion and mercy, when they're biting and sarcastic, the Proverbs writer reminds us that actually it's perverse, meaning there's a, there's a twisting of our hearts. And this depravity that is there, it manifests itself through the things that we say. Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart comes words. Words of sometimes blessing, but sometimes curses. And James chapter 3 is all about this whether we realize it or not, when we use these words that we have and a word, our tongues are powerful. They have the power to bless and to encourage and to uplift, but they also have the power to, as Proverbs says, to break or fracture. The word breaks the spirit is that concept of destroying whose spirit. You know, it's not just those people that we're talking to, It actually hurts ourselves. It's our own spirit that is hurt. We may not realize that. But the more that our mouths are full of criticism, sarcasm, unkindness, the more that it actually hardens our heart towards God himself. And then that leads to more hurtful words, more pain. And it really becomes cyclical in that sense. And slowly but surely, we don't have a compassion for others. If you're a person perhaps who has a hard time with empathy, really experiencing compassion and kindness towards people, maybe even people that you actually love. And we should say words of blessing to them, but we can't get ourselves to actually mouth the words of blessing and encouragement because we've gotten into the habit of always criticizing. So for example, siblings, I know some of you, especially youth, but And you will see this, it's interesting, you know, when you're young, you can really say words of blessing to your brother or sister, but so often it's cutting words, you know, words of sarcasm, hurtful words. And slowly but surely, as you get into the habit of saying hard words to even your brother or sister, as you get older, it becomes very difficult to start having real conversations about kindness, mercy, the Lord. And so often then we're left to just superficialities because we've developed the habit, the hard-heartedness that is actually overflowed from the words that we speak. You might say that the heart, while it leads to certain words, again, but it bounces back towards us, it breaks our spirit, it destroys our spirit. And then we become hard to the Lord and to others. And we don't even realize the destruction of our souls. That is the great challenge of this type of heart, is the critical spirit is often the one who doesn't realize that they have a critical spirit. And the way you really get to know that you have a critical spirit, critical words, is by asking people if I have that. So go ahead, ask someone. You know, ask your husband or your wife, ask your children, ask your siblings, do I criticize you, correct you, overcorrect you? Do I ever give words of encouragement? Ask them if you actually do that, because the person who is unkind or who is critical of heart, oftentimes they're the one person who doesn't realize they are like that, which leads again to hardness. It makes sense. Because we're hardened of heart through our unkindness, we can't even tell that that's who we are. And so the only way we get to that place is by having other people speak into our lives in that way. If you do actually take me up on this offer and go home afterward and say, I wanna ask you something, am I overly critical? Am I overly judgmental? Do I correct? And so mom, dad, ask your children, do I correct? you? uh, Overcorrect you? Am I overly critical? And if they say, well, actually, mom, you are. And if your instinct is, what? (laughs) There's no way. Well, if that's you, it's probably because you do have a critical spirit that your heart is hardened, that you can't even hear that that's a possibility. Or maybe we are so used to bantering When I was in college and actually all the way up through, especially in college and through seminary, I got into this habit of bantering and bantering, meaning you sort of prod with a sort of a little joke and maybe about something that is a little off with a person and then someone else hears it and they agree with you. So they laugh at it. And then the person hears what you said, what I said, and they get hurt by it. And then my first instinct is to say, well, I was only kidding. As if to say that as long as my intent is jest, therefore it's okay, it's legitimate. And if they got hurt by it, then there's something wrong with him. They're too weak to handle it. Isn't it interesting how that's sort of how it works when we're blinded by our own heart when it comes to an unkindness. I remember one time um, we were having dinner as a family and you know we have four children. And this happened literally about uh, sometime not that long ago, a few months ago. And three of them were making fun of the fourth. You know, initially it started out as just sort of egging on of a particular quality. I won't mention which one. And I won't mention what it was, but it was one person would say something, the other person piled on, the other person piled on. Initially, that person, one of my kids, the person, the target of that, they were laughing. But then slowly but surely, get, kept on getting quieter and quieter until I looked. Because they were sitting right across from me and see just water welling up in the eyes. And we had to say, all right, you know, that's enough. I, it's, and the answer to that is... But I didn't mean to do it. You know, again, one is intention motive. First of all, can often be mixed. When we say I didn't mean it. The reality is no, we do mean it. (laughs) And the secondly is that just because you didn't mean it, if they are hurt, then there is something to recognize that maybe I need to be a little bit more cautious with the things that I say. There's a difference between friendly jabbing and friendly fire. Friendly fire in a war, when that happens, people die. And it's the same with words. Even if you do it with the intent of being friendly, in actuality, it can really do damage. So I'm not saying we can never have jest and have fun with people and recognize that there's a place for friendly jabbing and banter but also there has to be a discernment as to the lines by which we cross. And if we cross though or come close to that, do not be surprised where during those times, sometimes we have to actually say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. But look at the the positive what, what words can do. Proverbs is full of this. It says, a gentle tongue is a tree of life. A gentle tongue is a tree of life. A tree of life, in Genesis chapter 2, was created by God as a means by which it will bring eternal blessing forever and ever. And so the promises of God is that you, through your words, can promote healing and delight and joy through the things you say. Chapter 15, verse 1 of Proverbs, a soft answer turns away wrath. Soft, not by in terms of your quality of voice and meaning Cause you can criticize someone with a really quiet voice. you know, It's not about how you say it, but it's about what you say. And in that moment, if you say the right word, a ble- word of blessing, it can even bring down the temperature. We need more of that more than ever before. You need it in your family, you need it in our culture and in, in politics and society and the world. In chapter 16, verse 21, the wise of heart, is called discerning and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. The power of a gentle word versus always about being forceful. I don't know if I've been having this conversation with with, uh, one of my daughters, Elizabeth, and um, we've been talking about sports and athletics as well as how to motivate, how does a coach motivate a team? Or how does one get to a place of excellence? And, and if, I don't know if you ever, any of you ever watched the movie Whiplash? So it's one, it's actually one of my favorite movies. Uh, I've come to really enjoy it, the soundtrack, everything. And it's, a, it's granted, it's not something you would watch with, a, you know, with one of your little kids or anything like that. But um, it's all about this drum teacher who is, uh, just has this incredibly foul uh, just angry uh, means by which he's trying to inspire this jazz drummer to become excellent, to be the next Charlie Parker, to be the person who's going to excel above everything else. And so he uses every single tool necessary. He throws chairs at him, he berates him, he, He mocks him. He does everything and this kid is getting better and better But he's also becoming a worse and worse person Anyway, it's this whole so the whole question of how do you motivate someone to get to be excellent? And we've been talking having this conversation about sports and how does a coach do that to is Berating good if the end goal is to win a championship and if you can guarantee that happens is, it, is that a worthwhile means to the end? Does, does truly the means justify the ends? The answer that we see in Proverbs is that it doesn't have to be that way. We don't have to be the worst person in the world to get the greatest results. That is to say that gracious words, or I'm sorry, uh, I, I, I move forward, but and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. There is a power, a tool by which we use the words we speak to actually affect the way people live and they actually can, we can persuade them to grow. Can we trust God's word in that? It doesn't always have to be about berating them, correcting them so that they actually can increase in all the different areas of their lives. Proverbs 16, 23 to 24, the heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness uh, to the soul and health to the body. So if harsh words destroy, kind words, just quite the opposite, can be uplifting. It can be encouraging, inspiring. It can... Cause people to do tremendous things. Some of the things that are happening in Ukraine with uh, President Zelensky, you know, he's faced, Ukraine is facing incredibly difficult odds. They should not have survived to this point, but it takes a leader to say, we can do this. And at this point, it takes words, the words of Winston Churchill or Abraham Lincoln, when it comes to war and incredible difficulty, the power to uplift with your words, it's amazing power. So we must never underestimate the power of gracious words, kind words. Parents, you have a power over your children. It's a really important power. That you have this power that what you say right now will impact them for the rest of their lives. Because our instinct is to correct. Because we have our own way of doing things. We have our own way of... Making a room clean, and if we spend all the time focused on making sure the room is clean, and we're berating our children to make sure that they keep our standards, well, those things impact their souls. If that's all we're doing, I'm not saying there's no place to have encouraging words to say. Sometimes you need to clean your room. There's a you know you don't want to find a sandwich in the folds of the blanket somewhere. That, That. there is a place for that. But if that's your whole path, if that's all you do, should we be surprised that if there's a thousand words of correction and criticism, and then every once in a blue moon, there's a word of encouragement. There's a, I'm proud of you, son. What's going to impact that child more? Actually, Really, if someone said, I'm proud of you, daughter, I'm proud of you, son, that could actually blow away even 10,000 words of criticism. It is that much, but yet we as parents don't want to do that. We withhold that. We are stingy. We're not generous with our words. We're actually stingy and self-centered with our words. Is it that we're thinking, well, I don't want to really praise my child because they're going to be, they're going to take that, they're going to get a big head. They're going to take it the wrong way. No, to say you're proud of them, you love them, you're with them. If we're honest with ourselves, we'll probably way too much speak words of correction and not enough words of blessing, encouragement, pointing them to the Father. And it's not just towards our children. It's towards um, youth. It's towards your parents. Some of you probably have said words that I tell you, 20 years from today, 30 years from today, you will regret saying those words. You're going to look back and say, oh, it was so stupid. It was so moronic. It's so foolish, as Proverbs says, you're so foolish when you actually speak that way to your mom or your dad. But when you're in the moment, we have a self-centeredness about us. Or maybe, husbands, you don't encourage your wives enough. You don't remark on their beauty externally, internally. You don't think about them and remind them of how cherished they are by you. And then wives, perhaps there's a criticism of your husband. Sort of these subtle jabs, especially in front of other people. And so you want to put him down and say, well, you're like this. And oh, you're never around or whatever it might be. This constant stinginess with our words of blessing. According to Proverbs, it destroys the people around us. It hardens our own heart. Listen to this beautiful exhortation from Proverbs fifteen twenty three: To make an apt answer is a joy to a man and a word in season, how good it is. Here's the promise. When you are generous and kind with your words, it has the power to change lives. I mean, really, Parents, if you want to make the most impact in your children's lives, one is point them to Christ. Second is bless them with your words. Make it a, a, something that you're going to be very proactive about it. And the younger your children are, the more you can make an impact. Now, I'm not saying that you can't do that now that they're older. It can start at any time of their life. Even if they are adult children, you can still say, I'm proud of you. I love you. Nothing you do will ever cause me to turn away from you. I will always be there for you. And to have that type of heart is going to make an impact in the long term. So one thing I know is that our God has never been stingy with us when it comes to his word. We have it. All of scripture is God's reminder to us how much he loves us. He doesn't withhold his own son and he doesn't withhold his word from us. Whenever God's word is withheld from people, it leads to a darkness. That happened prior to Martin Luther in the church where God's word was non-existent. No one could read it except for a few clergy and it was always in Latin and that's it. And then Luther comes along and he translates, starts translating the Bible into the vernacular into German. And the reason he did that is he was saying, this is God's blessing to us. He wants us to know his word, and he wants to bless us and to encourage us. And he's saying, out of that encouragement, then go and do likewise. Bless other people. Bless your families. Bless your wife. Bless your husband. Bless your children. Bless your siblings and your coworkers and your neighbors and your friends. Tell them about this gracious, merciful God who loved you and gave himself for you. He has never been stingy. God is deeply generous with you and with me, with his words. And so therefore, likewise, shouldn't we be generous to those whom we love and to everyone around us? So that's the generosity of words. I hope we become much more generous. The second is our generosity with our resources. We'll spend a whole nother message talking about money, because money is such a significant topic in Proverbs. But I want to address a few words of generosity with resources from Proverbs. Chapter 11, verses 24 to 25. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered chapter one, verse 19, such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. What Proverbs is telling us in chapter one, verse 19 is that when we are consumed with our own gain, we not only become greedy, we become unjust because we're hoarding resources for ourselves and that keeps us from blessing others and hence Injustice sort of flows out. The generous person is always thinking about other people and they're thinking about what God has done for them and therefore they're opening their homes, they're considering the poor, they're thinking about the oppressed. And because of that, they tend to be focused on kindness, on mercy. But it's the hoarder, the person who is greedy, they're the ones who are going to do anything they can to gain gain resources for themselves. And I use the word resources because it's not just about money. It could be about position, work, in your office. There are certain people who are going to do whatever it takes to get that promotion, to be on top. And that person is a hoarder. And they will get it by unjust gain, by currying political favor, sometimes by doing unethical deeds. And yes, they might gain it, but it will certainly be unjust. But what it really magnifies is the greed of their heart. And so that's not just always about money. That can be about prestige, position, power. Notice also that we become greedy. The gain is over time. It's a process. You grow in greed. The ways of everyone who is greedy is developed. And you get that very early on. Left unchecked, the this is mine give it to me and if no parent steps in and says no you don't you will not get it uh, because and if you say well johnny give it to jimmy because you're older and i shared this we shared this at the parenting seminar automatically there's this assumption that this person thinks well as long as i'm older i'm entitled to everything i get whatever i want And that type of mentality is being fostered and the greed is growing over time. So do not be surprised if a child who is always allowed to get what they want becomes a teenager who always is allowed to get what they want. So when you try to take the phone away and say, no, here, you're gonna be punished, then they fight back with all munitions out against you. And then by the time they, hit college, and graduate and become a, they, it just doesn't change. When they're 70 years old, they're still doing all they can to maintain resources for themselves without any hint of even considering anyone else but themselves and their own power. So this is not about money because money is not evil in and of itself, but it's about the heart. Another area that we are so greedy over is this concept, and I said it before, is this concept of promotion. There are many different areas in our world where promotion is a big part of life. We want to be promoted on the school, on, on the sports team. You know, we want to be, instead of the, the bench rider, we want to be in the starting lineup. And not only do we want to be in the starting lineup, we want to be at the top of the starting lineup. We want to be the MVP or perhaps in academics. It's about getting to the dean's list, getting to a certain place or publishing um, in the office, making sure that you're placed and you say the right things in order to get promoted. It's in the military. It's a big part of the military. If we, if I was preaching to a military audience, every one of you would be going, wow, promotion, it's all about that. Um, it's, it's in sports, it's in academia, pursuing tenure. This is a part of our world. I really appreciate what Martin Lloyd-Jones says about this topic. He says this, Promotion has done endless harm in the church of God to men who have been quite honest and sincere, but have not been on guard against this danger. They have been laying up treasures on earth without knowing it. Their interest has suddenly been moved from one center of pleasing God and working for his honor and his glory and has turned almost without their knowing it to themselves themselves and their own engagement in the work. So many Christians have initial heart of saying, I wanna honor God above all else. A Christian actually thinks that way. But what Martin Luther jones is saying here is that when it comes to promotion, that actually does endless harm because even though initially there's a sincerity, as you're, because there's no guard up, Our instinct is always, well, if you get that promotion at work, you should always take it. I mean, isn't that how we think? And it would be a fool not to take it. You get more money, more position, more fame. But what if you decided not to take it? What if that promotion led to you to work much longer hours? You had to now travel 70% out of your year, 50%. So you're never home. You're never spending time with, in the Lord, with, in community. And you so you intentionally decide not to take that promotion because you know the cost of actually taking that promotion is not only going to destroy your own soul, it will damage irreparably your family and their pursuit of Christ. Promotion is it does damage because in the end it's about laying up treasures of our hearts in this world it's placing our hopes into this world rather than in the world that is to come that is eternal sometimes it means maybe not not taking on a sports team or that will cause you to never be with the people of god i remember when our um when uh my, one of my daughters, Elizabeth, when she was playing soccer and it was time to go from rec to comp competitive in soccer. And there was a, a point where she tried out. I had her try it out and then she got accepted to the top team. And coach called and said, All right, I just need you to say yes. And I asked him, I said, Well, what's the schedule going to be? And he said, Well, they're going to be traveling for the next endless months. And they'll never be here on Sundays. And so my wife and I, we talked about it, and we realized this is not for us. This is not, this is too high of a cost. Because I knew at that point I was making, I'm gonna have to make a choice. Her her life in Christ or getting to this team. Because being wreck is really that's a wreck of a life. That that doesn't advance you, that doesn't get you to where you need to be. Because if she gets onto this team and then she gets recognized and she gets recruited and then maybe she goes to a certain school and then after that she gets a certain type of job and then from there she meets a certain type of man. And then from there she, that road is a road so often without the Lord. It really is littered with many souls who have never trusted in Christ. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Now, I know some of you are thinking, but Sam, what about this, and what about that, and you have all sorts of scenarios. If you have those questions, ask them on the forum. I will respond to you, even in Romania. I promise, I will respond. I don't have the time to, I wish we could have a Q&A right now, because I know you have certain thoughts, and you're right, I don't think it's always. There are certain people, there are the Tim Tebow's of the world who have excelled at least in top of the college football world, who still love the Lord and pursuing him. But I tell you, he is the exception, not the rule. For every Tim Tebow, there are thousands of kids who have turned away from the Lord because of their lives being consumed by something other than Christ. It's not just sports. It's so many different areas. It could be art, it could be dance, It could be, uh, I don't know, tiddlywinks. It could be anything. It's whatever it is that you have, at that point, have made a decision. I choose to lay up treasures in this world. And you know your heart. Because if I'm honest with my heart, at the very moment when you're trying to make that choice, it's not about her. In the end, it's about me. I want people to look at me and to say, Wow, that's a really great dad. And you know why people would say that? Because, oh, they went to this school, graduated from this place, got this job, married this person. And that means that someone's gonna say, you did a great job. You're really smart. You're, you, know, you know how to do it. And then they'll ask me the questions. question, well, how do you do it? How do you learn? If that's my heart, what a self-centered, greedy heart that is. That is a self-glorifying heart. And it's a battle that battle is constant. So recognize that that's the case. Promotions, if that's the end goal, it will damage our souls forever and it will damage those around us. So here's the question, what keeps us from this road of self-glory, from this road of destruction? You know what? It's the more we understand of who Jesus is and what he has done for us, his generosity towards us, not so that I can be happy in this world for a few decades. Yes, the Lord I believe will provide that, that type of contentment in him. But secondly is that eternally, that will be there forever, forever. And so one, recognizing that I have this generous God who has given himself for me. He loved me and gave himself for me, Galatians 2.20. Because of that reality, I can know with assurance that I'm free to love others and to be generous, which is the second way it keeps me from this: is being generous with our time, our money, our resources, our service. I shared with you earlier how the Church in Villafranca, they have, um, you know, opened their homes to these families indefinitely. And where does that come from? I don't think that's just about sacrifice. That comes from understanding the the generosity of our God. And the more we serve, the more you cause and and bless others and teaching your families how to be a blessing to others, to serve the church. One thing you want your child to be is someone who loves the church. Because when they graduate from college, they're not gonna be part of a college group or a college ministry, they're gonna be part and they're not gonna be part of a youth group. They're gonna be part of the church. So what you want them to do is you want them to love the church. And one way you grow to love the church is you serve the church. You actually are engaged into the life of the church. And you know we try to think of different ways, small ways that our, even our youth can be a part of serving the church. I'm thankful that some of our youth are, like, okay, I'm gonna quote him again, sorry, Joshua. Joshua Chang, he's serving, doing our sound as a high school student, you know I mean? And a lot of the youth are doing media, and, and we're, why do we do that? It's not because they're the best at it. Not that they're not bad. They're, they're good. But it's because we want them to love the church, love God's people, love serving, because one day they're going to come back, not necessarily to here, it could be anywhere, and they're going to serve the church. And in that way, they grow. They grow to have a generous desire. That One of the reasons why we think about going globally, or last week we had San Francisco City Impact come and say, talk about bringing the gospel to the Tenderloin. Or I know a number of the youth are thinking about serving at Johnny and Friends, the camp you know, that they're going to have for people with disability. Why do we think about such things? So that it opens our hearts to the Lord and allows us to remember all that God has done for us. That active engagement and exercising of that heart opens our doors, our hearts to generosity. So again, it's not just simply about money, it's about your life. Let me just close with this. Um, We are rich in every way, rich in time. And I know you think, but I don't have any time. No, we do. Every time you say, I don't have time, it ultimately is not true. I know so many of you say to me, you know, like some of you have come up to me and say, oh, you're so busy. You're so busy. And I, I want to tell you, and, and sometimes I've met with some of you and you say, um, I'm sorry that I'm taking up your time because you're so busy. And I say, I'm not busy. I'm not. I love meeting with you. I mean, granted, I, I need to schedule out the time, but there's, I'm never too busy for you. And I want to meet with you. If you are new to Wellspring, you want to find out, and you want to meet with me, I'll, let's make the time. But busyness is never, I, th- I always think that's an ultimate, um, for lack of a better word, it's an excuse. It's to say, well, my life is so full, I don't have time for ministry, for caring, for loving, for being generous. Generosity is always going to be hard. There's going to be a pain to it, and there's going to be a sacrifice to it. But if you are not that person and generosity is something you commit to you actively do it's not something that you just simply always feel you just have to do it and the way we know this to be true is in luke chapter 7 simon the pharisee throws a posh dinner for jesus and this disgusting woman the woman of the city she comes running in, and she anoints Jesus with oil and wipes his feet with her hair as she weeps. Why is she so generous even though she has so little? So she's poor except for this one valuable ointment that she has that she probably used for her job, and now she's giving that to the Lord. And then Simon, who's wealthy, but as this woman comes in, in Simon in her own heart is critical and judgmental not just of the woman, but of Jesus. So he's wealthy, he has everything, but he actually is not generous at all. And Jesus gives the answer of where the generosity flows, how it flows in this direction. He says in Luke 7, 47, therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. What an indictment. A blessing to the woman, indictment against Simon. Because Simon is obviously the one who has forgiven little. He doesn't even realize he's done anything. And so therefore he has no love in his heart. He doesn't realize that he needs a savior. And so out of that comes cheapness, comes self-centeredness, self-exaltation, self-glory. And so he loves little. He has no generosity, has nothing to give to anybody. And even when he does give, it's always with a catch. It's always a, you scratch my back, I scratch yours, quid pro quo. But with the woman, she had she knew she was a sinner. She knew how much she had been forgiven. And because of that, outpoured this generosity of her heart that e- nothing would stop her. Not even the impropriety of coming into this man's home and pouring out everything to Christ. I tell you, generosity is not about how much money you have how much you give. Generosity is about your heart. And it's about the fact that you know you have been saved. You were wretched. And the Lord Jesus Christ, he came and rescued you. You were an orphan, and he brought you into his home. And he gave He paid a price for you to come into his home, an inestimable price, one that is priceless. The blood that was shed—it's that—that leads to an overflow of generosity. I hope you realize that we have much to be generous over. I, you know, just to say this is that I've, I talk about you know what we're doing in the Ukraine, but please also take a look at what I've, I'm posting on it in the forum about what George is doing in Goma, and um, I read that and I think. We the world does not care about Africa because Ukraine, they're Caucasian, so they look a certain way and they're Western and they're more they're wealthier, more of a developed area. And so a war comes in and it's bad. We should care for them. But then also what's happening in Africa has been happening quite a long time. And it's the same thing, but no one cares that's why I'm so thankful that George is there and he's showing us, don't forget. It's not either or, it's both and. We need to care for both. We need to grow our heart. Why? Because God is generous with all of us. So therefore, we remember Africa, we remember Ukraine, we remember Asia, we remember South America, we remember Central America, we remember North America. If the Lord is that kind to us, then we can never stop being generous with our time, our resources, our money, our efforts to our own families and to all those around the world and even in our own local communities. Let us not stop being generous. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the wondrous promises of our God who is so merciful and kind. Thank you for your son and all that he has done for us. As we come to this table, may we do so with joy, remembering that you have been so generous, so merciful, so kind, because you loved us and you gave yourself for us. And Jesus, may we never forget that truth. In Jesus' name we pray.